Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. It's a brand new year, and what better time to get going with that online store you've been thinking of? Those I was there when Arsenal actually scored a goal t shirts would fly off the shelves right now. And to get yourself up and running, you need Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way through to the did we hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms, and sell more with less effort with thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Sign up for a $1 a month trial period at shopify.com slash arsblog, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash arsblog now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash arsblog. Hello there and welcome to another Arscast Extra, as always, with James from Gutterblog. Good morning to you. Good morning to you. Uh, this Arscast Extra is brought to you not only with my croaky voice after the weekend, but also in association with DeskBeers.com. You ever heard of DeskBeers.com? I confess I have not. Basically, what they do is they have a website which has got lots of beer on it. Well, the website doesn't have beer on it, but there's a selection of beer, and you mm. order the beer... And then they deliver the beer to your work on a Friday afternoon or wherever you want on a Friday afternoon. And then you have beer for the weekend or for Friday afternoon for those final bits of work. Yeah, get straight into it on the Friday. Absolutely. So uh, deskbeers.com, we've got a discount code for you as well for your first order. You can check that out a bit later on. We'll give you some more details. But let's get into the whole weekend thing. How was yours? It's been a while since we've seen each other, I know. Yes, exactly. Well, it was good. Very nice to see you uh, over for the game. But and you know, we won. I managed to largely ignore the League Cup final. So all in all, it wasn't too bad. What about yourself? You sound slightly worse for wear. Yes, yes. There was uh, there was some shouting involved. Um, yes, I heard about it. As did most of America <laughs> during the game. Yeah. Well, look, you know, we were sitting right behind Phil Neville, and I don't know who the... Some guy called Arlo White, I think. Okay. Um, And obviously their microphones are are very sensitive because they they were able to pick up some of the things that I was saying. and, And, you know, in the first few minutes when the two Everton players were down injured, I was imploring the Arsenal team to continue with the mm. ball at their feet and, and to carry on, as as another team would have done against us, right? 
I sure. Think, I think that's fair enough. Was it in those terms? Was, did you put it as gently as that? I said, leave them down and play on. Like, let them die, sort right. of. <laughs> but that was, that was the implication. Sure. You know, there's no room for mercy in sport, let's no. face it. No, we would not be showed any, so why should we? So there were a number of incidents um, in which the referee caused me some vexation. Angst. Yes, with his decision-making. And, and you know, you, you tend to say things at a, at a football match. But I, I noticed the, uh, the men in Blazers, they do a podcast and they do some stuff for NBC. Have you heard of them? I have heard of them, actually. I've never listened to it. But... Yeah. Um, they sent a tweet right after that saying, excellent decision to Mike, obnoxiously loud Arsenal fan. Leave him down and play on, he shrieks, as Jagielka is leveled in the area. Now, I don't remember Jagielka being leveled in the area. Right. But, you know, th- this is what happens at a football match. No people say things and shout things, and if the microphone is in close proximity, then that is an issue for the people with the microphone rather than the person shouting. Exactly. We don't shout at the lorry, do we, for getting involved? Yeah. We he- just accept him as part of, the, part of the environment, part of the experience. Absolutely. People just have to have to understand that this is what happens at football matches. People shout stuff all the time. But, um, yeah. And so, what's impressive as well, to be in that proximity to Phil Neville and not shout anything abusive directly at him. Well, look, I'm not a, I'm not a bad guy. There were sure. a couple of things that, that did, make me, did make me laugh a little bit because he had his, we could see his notes. So he had player names written phonetically. So uh, Mesut Ozil's name was spelled U-R-Z-I-L. Or is it? Right. Okay. But he also had Olivier Giroud's name spelt phonetically. O live E A G Ru. Blimey. Blimey. But uh, at one point in the first half, before we'd scored, and Everton had had a lot of the ball, uh, he, he sort of turned around to me at a, uh, during a break in the game, and he just he just sort of smiled sympathetically at me, as if, oh, poor guy. Look at look at your team. This is yeah. this is not good, is it? I was like, oh God, oh my, this is terrible. Being sympathised at by Phil Neville, but Blimey. the um, but the broadcast assistant turned around after one particularly vocal part, which I think people have seen, where I might refer to the referee as a, a fucking arsehole for mm. stopping the play when he could easily have played on. And the broadcast assistant turned around and he goes, I, I'm not sure which one of you it is. Now you know you fine well. <laughs> but uh, the microphone is picking up a little bit of bad language. And I said, uh, that's uh, that's unfortunate, all right? And he was like, but can I ask you, pl- I know, you know, it's football and please, just please. You know, he's obviously <laughs> getting it from somebody on high to, uh, you know, to, to get this guy to, to stop swearing. So I, I did feel sorry for him. Yes, know? I liked what you wrote on the blog about him having to considering negotiating with you with sweets that was amazing i said because half time went and i just i lent down to him and i said look i'm not going to stop shouting but i will stop swearing you know i understand the position you're in you're doing your job etc and he was going oh, thanks so much you know i was thinking like how can i get him to to stop maybe if i give him a bag of sweets his mouth will be too full for him to say anything he doesn't he doesn't know you at all the he, sight of you wandering around dublin sweets in your mouth just swearing is a, a known thing absolutely there's been books written about it and everything 
Yeah. So it was it was all part of the uh, all part of the fun and entertainment. And then you know to to put it on Twitter and to see people had actually been listening to it and they'd been apologizing on air for it. Well, that was hilarious. Yeah, it was great. It was so, someone. Um, I think it was uh, someone I can't remember who it was, but one of the bloggers on Twitter had obviously just searched for like NBC and swearing or whatever, and just retweeted loads of instances of people going, "Who is this man swearing <laughs> all over American television?" So it's good to know that you know on, on your visit over, you managed to make a pretty pretty big impact. Yeah. What yeah. did you think of the atmosphere as a whole, by the way? I mean, I know you were generating a lot of it, but I thought it was, I thought it was quite flat, generally. It was, people were really nervous, and I think it was so flat because of what happened in midweek that, in a way, understandable, you know? But I think Arsene Wenger always says that it's down to the team to to not to raise the crowd. You know, it works both ways, obviously, but I think people were just so flattened after what happened against Monaco that there was just a nervousness. It was so quiet in the first mm. 15, 20 minutes. It was probably why I could be heard, because it was just so quiet. Um, yeah. And I understood that, and we didn't play particularly well in the opening minutes, and there were some worrying little bits and pieces, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, the the incident with uh, Gabriel and Lukaku and Ospina did brilliantly, I have to say, um, to come out and, and stop that. And you could, you know, it didn't it didn't do anything to um, to quell that nervousness. But I think after a while, people started to get behind the team and were 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 certainly encouraging from where I was, even though it wasn't as if the whole stadium was rocking, you know, that way. Yeah, it was weird. I mean, I felt the first half was generally quite tepid, like from both sides. Everton kept possession a lot in the first 20 minutes. Yeah. And, you know, we looked worried about conceding and lacking in confidence, but it all hinged really on a couple of minutes where Lukaku went through at one end and Gabriel made that excellent tackle. And then very shortly afterwards, we went out the other end and scored. And, you know, it could have been a very different match. Mm. Um, Giroud missed a chance. Oh yeah, yeah. Not long before the goal, and what I, I I was sort of sitting there, almost wincing because I was waiting for not an explosion of of criticism or anything, but it, you know he he was uh, he didn't get a hard time for that. You know he no. sort of it was a good good effort, and he made space to get in the header. But you know I think the goal that he scored was so important for him, uh, not obviously for us as a team, but I think just to get rid of that the weight of of what he'd been feeling after Wednesday that was uh, was really important yeah I was wincing when when Giroud missed that chance because you know you always think after a bad game the first chance is is such an important one yeah I was I was basically reacting exactly like Giroud does when he gets injured you know wincing and clicking my hand in a sort of <laughs> aggravated manner and uh but yeah he fortunately he, he came back from that and the thing about him is he, he never stops making runs and that was even true against Monaco like even though things weren't going his way he was still getting in the positions and I think you've got to give him a certain measure of credit for that and it was a big goal you could see he was relieved you could see what was nice was that other players on the team went to him and there was clearly a sense of well done mate you've got that off your back because one of the things that was a little bit disappointing about the Monaco game is that when things weren't going his way no one did that really no one put an arm around him no one told him keep your chin up anything like that Yeah. so nice to see a bit more uh that camaraderie in place, really. Yeah, yeah. And um, what did you make of, of Gabriel? I know he had that mistake 
um, which was um, because I was sort of shouting at him just to head it first time to the to the right back who was waiting for the ball. He let mm. it bounce, bit of indecision. Lukaku took advantage. But after that, I thought he really grew into the game. Uh, we'll probably have some questions a bit later on, but just, you know, quickly, what were your thoughts on his performance? I I thought he was a, a bit mixed. I mean, I, I th- there was a really that was a really strange mistake, but at halftime I was watching Martin Keown on BT Sport, and he said that's natural, you know, he's, he'll be nervous, it's his Premier League debut. Um, that could explain why he let it bounce, which, you know, is the sort of schoolboy error really but I thought he made two absolutely outstanding challenges he looks like a very rugged player Arsene Wenger was full of praise of him after the game I thought as well his passing was good uh, his distribution from the back was more competent than we'd seen on his previous outing um, uh, there was one there was one slightly astray pass in the second half basically I, I think he played well I'm just cautious about you know, I'm trying to avoid hyperbole because this is a guy who's just arrived in the Premier League and I do think that there might be some teething problems somewhere along the way because we saw that with Koscielny sure. and we saw that with Mertesacker as well. So, But I think if you look at his raw attributes, I think it's very promising. He's clearly quick. He clearly can time a challenge. I think we've already seen three or four immaculate tackles inside the penalty area from him in an Arsenal shirt. And uh, I'm excited about him. I think it... I think it brings something to the squad to have another player with those with those skills. I mean, you, so you really liked him, did you? You thought there were good signs there. Yeah, I thought the response after the mistake was was great, you know, because it would be easy for a player to go into a shell a little bit or to become super nervous. Uh, but no, I thought the tackle on Lukaku in the box was fantastic. He seemed good in the air. And what was interesting to me, and I said it on the blog today, was that I thought Kieran Gibbs... Hi, Laurie. I thought Kieran Gibbs and Lauren Koscielny were both a little bit worrying in how they yeah. played. And I tell you, one of the things that that bothered me with Gibbs was there just seemed to be he seems to be too conservative on the ball. Uh, there were chances for him to to go forward and to to you know attack their fullback and didn't and you know turn back in, play the simple pass backwards. That was a little bit worrying. Um, some of his decision-making was a bit odd. But I thought Koscielny was a bit odd as well. Yeah, um, I am. Um, I was recently asked to write a thing where I had to look back at Arsenal's performances in the month of February and say sort of who I thought played well and who I thought hadn't. And it's not a very nice task. But actually, when I broke it down game by game, there's quite a lot of matches in which I was thought Koscielny had either made an, a notable error or been a bit below par... I don't think, you know, it's beyond the realms of possibility that he's still not feeling anything like 100%, you Mm. know, and perhaps that's impinging slightly on his performances because I don't think he's been nearly as good as he was for much of last season. Yeah, I I tend to agree, but I think we'll we'll touch on that. I've got a question a bit later on, so I'll I'll wait for that. David Ospina obviously has been the topic of conversation between us Mm. um, uh, for a number of weeks, and obviously uh, we've got to talk about him again. I, th- you know, I thought that Chesney might come back in for the Everton game. Um, yeah, as did I. But I thought Ospina was really, really very good. Um, a couple of really good saves. Very decisive that moment when Lukaku went through. Um, the save from Lukaku in the second half was, was excellent as well. The one concern I have is that he can barely kick the ball over the halfway line. Should we be concerned <laughs> about No, seriously, should we be concerned about that? Because know, from his not... goal kicks, he can barely reach halfway. 
That is strange, and it's not great for us because we're not blessed with central midfielders with the the height to challenge for those balls. Um, so the chance of us winning them are quite slim. I, mean, I guess we have to drop Giroud right back in. I I think that could be a bit of a worry. I mean, it is strange, but perhaps it's something that can be coached. Maybe. I thought in the first half I was going, I, there was a bit of a wind yesterday, and I thought, well, maybe Ball's just getting hung up in the wind here, and, you know, second half with a bit of wind behind him, he'll, he'll fire them deep and long into the Everton half. But again, there, there just seemed to be too much um, too much elevation, too much backspin. Yeah. I've uh, noticed it before, actually. He doesn't get great distance. And what's strange, well, not strange, but what's slightly odd about that is that he's a guy who, who chooses to kick every time. He almost never throws the ball out, Spina. Um, if you look at the average distribution length of him versus Chesney, his is something like two or three times Chesney's because Chesney goes for a lot of those quick th- throws. I don't know if that's an instruction thing. I don't know if Arsenal mm. said, we don't do that anymore. It takes too many risks. But uh, he does choose to kick every time and his kicking, isn't, it's fairly accurate, but I do think distance is a, a bit of a problem for him. Right. And overall, his display... You I know- thought it was very good. I made him my man of the match. Look, I, I've been quite vocal about thinking Chesney should start but I sort of think now from this position it's quite hard to see how that comes about because for me if Arsene was waiting for an opportunity to put Chesney back in I think he had that after Monaco yeah and the fact that he kept faith with Ospina in those circumstances to me says that something really quite drastic would have to happen for that to change Mm. So look, overall, considering what happened in midweek and considering what else went on at the weekend, um, Liverpool winning, which was a bit of a pain, Mm got to say. Manchester United won. Um, It does look maybe as if it's there's a little bit of a gap beginning to open up, is there, with those teams? Southampton's form isn't great is it I think no. saying you expect them to fall away and, and the results the way they're going would suggest that's a distinct possibility um, I, I think I think it's looking like it's going to be a three horse race for two places Yeah, and there are some fascinating fixtures along the way because we've still got to play Liverpool uh, we've still got to play United I think they've got to play each other so it's really too close to call, to be honest with you. Mm. Mm. I'm still very confident. Um, very, very confident? Yeah, Reasonably was, confident? Or It was weird hearing that come out of my mouth. So I am going to amend that to quite confident. <laughs> <laughs> Classic conviction of the man who's quite confident. Quite confident, but, um, indeed. But Liverpool... Playing some good stuff. I thought, you know, watching us yesterday, it was a little bit like, although the scale of the defeat maybe wasn't quite as big, it was a little bit like watching us in the wake of those thrashings last season. You know, there was that sort of caution about our performance. Um, however, we got the win, which we, we never really did coming off the back of those results last year. So, yeah. Were you uh, a little bit surprised by Everton's... <sighs> I was surprised that they didn't rat- try and rattle us, you know, because we were very obviously um, shell-shocked from Wednesday. And I think had they really had a go at us in the first 15, 20 minutes and not allowed us to, to ease our way back into the game, you know, even from a physical point of view, they're, they're, they were a, a bigger side than us yesterday. You mm-hmm. know, we had a lot, of, uh, a lot of short players in there. So I was a bit surprised that they weren't more 
aggressive. I'm not, I know Martinez is not one of those managers, really, but I would I would have sent my team out to to try and rattle Arsenal a bit. Well, maybe. I mean, you mentioned Martinez and. You know his post-match press conference. He's so polite. He's such a he's such a good guy. To be honest, I've really got a lot of time for him. But I do wonder if if all teams are a reflection of their managers. Are are they a little bit too nice? You know they they were very passive in possession. They didn't they weren't too penetrative apart from those couple of occasions when Lukaku went through. I think there was an opportunity for them to give us a real scare in the first half. And uh, yeah, I was very relieved that they didn't necessarily take it. Um, midweek action then, we, we should look ahead very quickly yeah. to Queen's Park Rangers. We may be without Francis Coquelin, whose nose exploded. It took a bit of a beating yesterday, didn't it? Between Giroud's head and then um, the the incident with, uh, I think it was Naismith, um, just gave him a little bit of a shove um, while he was challenging for the ball. So instead of heading it, he nosed it. I can imagine that that hitting a ball with your broken nose that's fallen from the sky is exceptionally painful. Yes, yes. I I don't even think about it, to be honest. (laughs) I think there's a good chance, yeah, presumably that he'll miss the game. I don't know. Arsene said, do you think he'll be all right? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, he could play in one of those um, Phantom of the Opera masks, couldn't he? Or are yes, they exactly. are they for cheeks or noses or I think they're primarily for cheeks. He could wear some sort of contraption, I'm sure. You know, just a, b- a big stick. gigantic foam clown nose that gives him protection or Exactly. Isn't Red Nose Day coming up? He could I use don't... it to sort of raise awareness. His nose is probably red enough already. <laughs> um, um yeah. So, what would that mean? Callum Chambers in midfield? Well, Flamini and Ramsey are back in full training, as far as we know. So, I think right. that would probably be the solution that he'd that go would help, for. That would certainly. Um, but, you know, away from home, tricky little ground. I mean, obviously, they're not very good this season. But is this a potential banana skin? Or is it, having put Monaco behind us, having won against Everton, should we be worried at all about this game? Uh, not saying we should take it for granted, but, you know. I think this is a game we should win. Let's put yeah. it that way. Uh, QPR are not a great side by any stretch of the imagination. And I think having got over the hump against Everton, mm. I'm confident we can produce a more fluent display against QPR. I think with or without Coquelin. All right. Okay. We should have enough. We should do. All right. Well, look, we'll take a short break and we'll be back with part two and your questions right after this. Welcome back to the Arsecast Extra, brought to you this week in association with deskbeers.com. It's craft beer delivered to your desk. So just log on to deskbeers.com, James, if you fancy some beers on Friday. Okay. Um, Choose the beer. Choose how much beer you want. Then when you get to the checkout, use the code Arsecast10 and you get 10% off the first order. Not bad. Not bad at all. So all you have to do is say, I want this beer. Deskbeers.com will bring you that beer for 10% less than it should have been simply because you've used the code ArsCast10. ArsCast10, very nice indeed. I tell you what, it would be good for me in my house because my desk is in my house, you see. So I could order as much beer as I want. I wouldn't even have to worry about getting home or anything. I could just start Friday afternoon pretty much whenever I want. That is, that's, yeah, I'm like... The benefits of self-employment. Indeed. 
Indeed. A couple of small restrictions, though. You obviously have to be over 18. And at the moment, deskbeers.com is only available in the UK uh, mainland. So um, outside of that, unfortunately, uh, they can't deliver. But they are working on it. So bear with them. uh, And uh, when that changes, we'll let you know here. So there you go. All right. Let's do some questions. Okay. You can go first. Oh, how kind. All right. Well, we, we touched on this briefly, but I, I want to push a bit further on it. So this one comes from Assad Baker, and he asks, do you think Gibbs has stagnated in his development? He's 25 now, around the same age that Clichy was sold. Yes, I think he has stagnated a little bit. Mm-hmm. Was Clichy older? I thought Clichy was older than that, wasn't he? I thought Clichy was with us for... I don't know. He says around the same age. Around. You, are, well, you give an answer and I'll research that. Okay. Um, I think that, yes, he has kind of stagnated. And I think that probably, if you ask me, would I like an upgrade in the left-back position, I'd probably say yes. I feel like kind of affinity for Kieran Gibbs because we share the same birthday. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, but obviously he is he's a bit younger than I am and a bit better at football than I am. But that's not to so say... So he's still better than you, you would still, say? Still, still, right. for sure, yeah. Um, but, you know, I think the fact that he lost his place to Monreal, I, I, the only reason I can see that Monreal hasn't been in the team the last couple of games is if he's carrying a bit of an injury. Because his form was good. I don't think people talked about what happened at Palace, but I don't think it was like Monreal was, you know, turned inside out and roasted over and over and over again. There were a few moments in the in the early part of the first half and the pitch was slippy and things were happening and, you know, it was reflective in general of the team. But, you know, I would have liked Gibbs to be to be producing more. I think he's a decent defender. Uh, but I, I just think that when you're an attacking team the way we are, you need your fullbacks to be a bit more productive, whether that's in terms of goals or whether it's in terms of um, the delivery or the consistency of delivery or, or decision-making. I think once he gets into the final third that more often than not his decision-making is, is poor. It's interesting, isn't it? Because I think when you compare him and Monreal, um, people look at Gibbs as the more attacking option. I think with the degree, I think that's correct. But when you break it down, what is his final third contri- contribution? You know, I, I wouldn't say he's got the same ability going forward as someone like Bellerin, for example. Yeah. I don't think he can. he's a particularly good crosser of the ball. Um I mean, nor was Ashley Cole, to be fair. But he, we played a game that wasn't dependent on it. You know, we didn't have a centre-forward like Giroud who would have benefited from someone who could cross the ball. Yeah. Uh, he's not a great crosser of the ball. Sometimes he can be, he can sort of come back on himself quite a lot, I find. That, so, that's what was driving me mad yesterday. There were a couple of yeah. times I just wanted him to go at the fullback. You know, use your use the pace. He's, he's quite quick. Use your pace and have a go and just see what happens. But the, the conservative nature of, of the way he, he plays drives me a bit mad sometimes. But. So what so what do you think? I mean, do you, do you think that Monreal should be the first choice? Or do you think that there's somebody better than both of them out there? What's your perspective on the position looking more broadly? Um, you know, I would have Monreal in at the moment. I think mm-hmm. the, the time he spent at centre-half improved him as a left-back, uh, particularly defensively and in the air. Um, but, yeah, if you, were to, if you were to say to me in the summer, we can bring in this guy and he's better than both of them, I'd say go for it. Sure. Right. 
So Gail Clichy for the, for the record joined Manchester City when he was twenty five. Really, which presumably, uh, if 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 Assad is right, is Kieran Gibbs's age right? Yeah, it is twenty five. How old is Kieran uh, Gail Gail Clichy now? I think twenty nine. Wow, he seems to have been around forever. I know. Doesn't he? I mean, he has, to be fair. Since He's the a- door. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rose, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Life is full of awesome what ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. It's a brand new year, and what better time to get going with that online store you've been thinking of? Those I was there when Arsenal actually scored a gold t shirts would fly off the shelves right now. And to get yourself up and running, you need Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way through to the did we hit a million order stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort with thanks to Shopify magic, your AI powered all-star. Sign up for a $1 a month trial period at shopify.com slash arsblog, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash arsblog now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash arsblog. of time. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, go on, on you go, your question. Oh yes, I've got one here, and this one comes from Tim Hardwick. Uh, at Barcelona, and yeah. he says, "Sum up Ozil's performance yesterday in one sentence." Oh, uh, Mesut Ozil was largely quiet, but created both goals. Okay, that would that would be my, you know, analysis. Give me a job, somebody. Yes, my <laughs> one would be quietly effective. But could be more involved. Would okay, that be fair. Yeah, I mean, our glasses, like you know, are both around the half full mark. It's just where they sit on that, and what perspective we're looking at it. I thought, you know, I think he's been one of our better players over the last few weeks, and I thought the criticism of him. I haven't spoken to you since the the Monaco game. Apparently, Gary Neville was really gunning for him and I found that really surprising and apparently yesterday on BT Michael Owen was really gunning for him now I know that we should take anything Michael Owen says not just with a pinch of salt but perhaps our good friend the lorry there if he's outside if we could fill that lorry with salt if we could get that in a pinch format to Mm. take with whatever Michael Owen says, or basically we should just ignore him because he's full of shit but basically said that Owen was was, or uh, Ozil was lazy but obviously, yeah. he ran further than any Arsenal player on the pitch yesterday. Well, I guess there's types of movement, aren't there? And there are things that, 
you know, if you're constantly moving away from, not away from the ball, but if you're constantly looking for space, which I imagine is primarily what he's doing, it's not something that necessarily translates that well on television or mm. that catches the eye particularly. Yeah. I mean, just while we're on this debate, we had a question as well from Gingers for Limpar. And he said, why can't people recognise Ozil's strengths and weaknesses, damn it? Bit of frustration from it. But I, I think I, I know exactly what he means. I think Ozil really polarises opinion among pundits and among Arsenal fans too. Yeah. And I think the truth is somewhere in between, isn't it? I think so. I mean, um, I wonder as well if people's perception of a player is being influenced by what they're hearing during commentary. That if a, a commentator and a pundit is saying over and over again that a player is lazy, that he's this, that, and the other, the minute you see him do one thing, that that um, what do you call it? Confirmation bias, essentially. That mm-hmm. w- that when you see one example of a player not doing something they should be doing, it's like, oh my god, he's he's so terrible. The guy behind me literally was shouting, "Ozil, run around a bit!" But clearly, he was he was running around a bit. I think where he frustrates people most is that sometimes you feel he could be stronger in the tackle. You know, that, that mm. there are 50-50s or, or, or things like that which don't quite come off for him enough. But then you've got to ask, is he the guy who's, you know, is that his job? Coquelin in for a 50-50. If, if he was losing them more often than not, then you've probably got a bigger problem than if Ozil is losing them, right? Does that make, does that make sense? I guess so. I mean, you know, no one ever complained about <clears throat> Robert Perez's tackling. Um, I guess that was because of the scale of the contribution he's making on the attacking side. It's sort of, I think people are quite willing to accept flaws in your game if they feel that that's being outweighed by what you offer going in the other direction. Um, at present, you know, I think Ozil definitely can still offer more. Uh I think his transfer fee is a big factor as well. You know, he's he's forty two million pound man, Mesut Özil, yeah. and I think that understandably creates a certain level of expectation. And I don't think I don't think he's lived up to that. I don't think he's I don't think he's looked like a forty two million pound player. Uh, but then transfer fees are weird things, aren't they? You know, just because you pay a lot of money for somebody doesn't mean you're necessarily going to mm. get that level. Do you think his face has? <laughs> I'm being deadly serious. I, I'm, Do you I'm think his you. face has an impact on how people view him? Because he's a sort of hangdog expression. I think eyes. his demeanour certainly does. Could, um, he, could he get away with more if he were more of a smiley, cheeky chappy? That kind of thing. I don't he was know. as I, lovable as Santi Cazorla, say. Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. I, I think his demeanour is a, a bit of an issue. He looks... He often looks quite miserable, doesn't he? Yeah. I don't think uh, he necessarily is. Some people just have that way about them. Yeah. I think he probably has been at certain times over the last couple of years. He's had things going on off the pitch. He's not been playing well at times. But I don't think he's, he, is, he is at present. And I do think that probably would help him. I think it would probably help him if he did some pointless 
shoulder barges. <laughs> Do you know he, what I mean? Yeah, if he just ran around and clattered into a few people here and there. But, you know, uh, you see, I, I, maybe you shouldn't judge things on social media, but, you know, you look at Ozil and people say, oh, he played terribly or he didn't do this or he didn't do that. And, you know, he comes off the pitch. And, and then you see in the dressing room with the players and the pictures that they post, he's always very happy and smiley and seems seems to be enjoying himself. Then maybe this is just the way that he operates on a football pitch, that it's not, for some people, there's a joy um, yeah. uh, uh, of being on a pitch, of playing football. This guy isn't necessarily the most joyous. He just he sees it as a job, that he's got things to do, and, you know, when he's off the pitch, then he can, you know, relax and have a good time and smile. Maybe. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's. I, I do think that it, it is just his, his character, really. He's quite a, an idiosyncratic guy and a little bit, Melancholy, yeah. But uh, you know, I, I think um, we, I mean, we're you know, we're giving him quite a close examination now. But that's what happens when you're a club's record signing, yeah. And I think you know, he did create both goals yesterday. I think that sometimes you can you can say, well, that's just stats, but you know, at the end of the season, that's what he'll be assessed upon. And I think he is improving. That's that's the way I choose to look at it. I think that since he came back from this injury, he'd been markedly better than he was before. And I'm choosing to look at that as progress and something and, and we're moving towards getting the Mesut Ozil that I think we all hoped for. So mm. fingers crossed he continues on that path. Interestingly, the uh, Opta Joe posted a, a stat um, basically saying that Mesut Ozil has the third best minutes per assist rate in Premier League history. So I have players with a minimum of 10 assists. Mm. Um, number one, bizarrely, is Jose Antonio Reyes. Um, who's got a 214 minutes per assist. Next up, some Fab Fabergas. Never heard of him. Never heard of him. Um, 221 minutes per assist. And Mesut Ozil, 224 minutes persist so you know I think what's the consensus that he's nowhere near as um, uninvolved as some people would like you to think and has made a, a fairly decent contribution but could probably step it up a bit bit more is that where we're, we're at with this I think so yeah and actually um, what have you what have you made of him going back into the centre have you, have you, do you feel that's Improved his performances at all, or how do you think that's affected us as a team? I don't know. I think um, it, it's hard to know because I don't think we've been playing particularly well. But I don't think it's to do with him. It's I think it's more to do him. with what's behind him and, and uh, the balance in the midfield in, in general. Uh, and hopefully, hopefully uh, that will sort itself out when we get Ramsey back. When um, maybe when Wilshire comes back, um, Coquelin is fit again. You know, just to have more more balance in the centre of midfield, I think that will probably that will probably uh, sort things out. But just while we're talking about that, there were some questions. Um, a number of people asking, should we be worried about Alexis? So, sorry, I can't find the specific one I picked out, but a number of people saying he hasn't scored in seven games, looked a bit um, unhappy yesterday towards the end of the game, stormed off down the tunnel. Um, is he just going through a bad run of form? Or is he knackered? Or is it a combo of all those things? I think even calling it a bad run of form would probably be overstating it. I think he's just having a dip. And I think it happens to most players at some point in the season uh, what what I do think is quite interesting is I, I think he is getting into goal scoring areas slightly less frequently than he was um, 
you know, if you think about the period where he was playing as a number 10, say, off the striker, uh, he he seemed to be getting several chances a game and yeah. scoring in most. That doesn't, you know, against Everton, I don't think there was a miss you could criticise him for. He barely... He, Barely got a chance, did he? No, I mean, there was a couple, excuse my voice, my teenager now, you see, so my voice is breaking. <laughs> um, I think there were a couple of moments where his desperation to score saw him choose the wrong decision, like trying to shoot through a crowd of players and, and those sort of things. But yeah, I don't think he's really been, whether he hasn't had the chances um, in recent games, like I can't remember him missing anything terribly. Or there was one against Monaco, um, of course, where he lifted it over the bar. But I think I think he's probably just a bit a bit tired, you know, having having played so much and so often, and you know he he gets battered around a bit as well, and uh, you know I think as long as we've got other players who are taking up the slack, we should, we don't necessarily have to be too worried. So um, no, and I think his frustration is understandable. You know, we know the kind of character he is. We know how much he loves playing and scoring goals. Obviously, he's going to be annoyed when he's not. He's annoyed, you know, when he's injured and he can't play. So, I do think uh, that it's not a huge worry. I mean, there is a stat doing the rounds, isn't there? I think I heard Jonathan Wilson quoting it, saying that he hasn't scored when he and Mesut Ozil have been on the pitch together. I, I think it's too early to say that there's anything to that, really. You know, there is a slight thing of I think Alexis is popping up centrally less frequently. Mm. Um, he's been a bit more disciplined in terms of his position on the flanks, and the same, the same is actually true of Oxlade Chamberlain, Danny Welbeck, guys who've played on the right hand side. That there's been a little bit less rotation of position. I don't know if that's a something that Arsene Wenger has actually instructed them to do. If it's a sort of a defensive choice, but they haven't been swapping and coming in field as frequently as they were yeah. previously. So, don't know. He's stuck a little bit wider, but I think, I think once he, to be honest, I think that goals come in patches for most players. Mm. And once he gets off the mark again, I would expect him to to add a few more. I think that he'll hopefully he won't. He's not too burnt out, and he's got a big finish to the season in him because yeah. we'll need him. Yeah. Uh, is it my turn or your turn? I've forgotten. I don't know. Let's say it's my turn. Let's okay. Imagine um, this one. A bit like David Ospina, I think this is going to be a bit of a recurring theme. This is from Jonathan Lott. Oh, no, Jonathan Illott. It's sort of an, an I looks like an L, doesn't it, when it's capitalised? It so it's can do, to, yeah, yeah. It can do. Jonathan Lott asks, if things carry on as they're going, is Theo off this summer? Don't know about that, but obviously there's, there's two things, right? There's the contract situation. Yeah. Uh, his contract expires next summer. So Arsenal are in a position now where they've got to be thinking about what they're going to do with him in the mm-hmm. future. I know that Arsene Wenger spoke a few weeks back about um, discussing things or opening talks with with his people. Um, he said it was early, which I thought was strange a couple of weeks ago. He said, oh, it's still very early. For mm. I mean, I guess for Walcott, it is early. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that, that that's the issue. And normally, that if you were... If you got to the summer with a player who was not willing or reluctant to sign a new contract, then your option is, as we've seen from sales in the past, is that you cash in. Mm. You take the money. The reason, the the only reason I don't think we did that with Walcott last time was not necessarily so much his importance as a player, 
but what his sale would have said about our ability to keep hold of players. That we just literally, having left, uh, let Fabregas leave, let Van Persie leave, let Nasri leave, that we just couldn't let another big, so-called big player go without it reflecting terribly on, on the club. So I yeah. think that's why we allowed the Walcott situation to go as far as it went last time. I'm not sure that they'll be willing to do that again. I'm no, not. I'm I mean, not convinced. What about his exclusion from the team? Because I, if I'm Theo Walcott, I'm thinking that yesterday's a great chance to get a game. You know, we know Arsenal wanted to change it up a bit after Monaco, mm. um, and as far as I recall, he didn't even get off the bench. When he was having his contract troubles last time with us, there was a spell in the kind of autumn of, uh, I think it was 2012 or 20, yeah, 2012, when he was left out the team and it, it felt like it was very heavily connected to the contract situation. Do you think Do you think that's a factor this time or do you think it's a purely technical decision? I don't know. I mean, obviously we don't know what's going on behind the scenes from that point of view. Um, mm. I think it's quite... You've got to look at it and wonder, of course, when you see Theo Walcott warming up. He warmed up for like at least half an hour in the second half yesterday when they sent subs out uh, after yeah. about an hour of the game. And he was out there, and he was out there, and he was stretching, and he was doing a little bit of a run here, a bit of a stretch there, looking back at the bench, nothing happening. And he continued to warm up right until almost the final few minutes. Um, didn't play against Monaco. Wasn't picked away at Tottenham. Wasn't picked um, away at Palace. Mm. It suggests that there's a reluctance on the manager's part to use him. Whether it's connected to the contract situation or whether the manager feels that he's not a player that he can fully rely on, I don't I don't quite know because he'd come back and had scored some goals, right? He'd scored 1-3 three goals yeah, in four games something he's, like he's that been so clinical so yeah so from a goal scoring form point of view you could make a, a good argument for him to be included but of for whatever reason i don't know what it is the manager doesn't seem to want to put him in the team well i mean this is speculation but there was a in his press conference before the monaco game Arsene Wenger said something that i thought was very interesting and this is the quote he said, offensively, we have a lot of solutions. We have to find a team balance. It's more about team balance than any individual. When you have the ball in the modern game, you have to attack. When you don't have the ball, you have to defend. All the players who can't do that cannot play. And immediately, I think of Volkov. Mm, that is very interesting, isn't it? Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's quite a quite a big statement for Arsenal and I'm saying it without context I'm not sure what the question was or anything like that but you know if you're saying well the players who can't defend can't play if there is a weakness to Walcott's game it's that kind of all-round contribution yeah and I think it's more likely that than any contract situation that's keeping him out the side now whether that means that he's expendable come the summer I don't know it Mm. It's hard to call, but I mean, the fact that it's hard to call is interesting in itself because while he was out injured, we would have been talking about him as a, an essential player. Yeah. I mean, it, the, the landscape has shifted considerably since his last deal. Yeah. As we referred to earlier, you know, we, he, he had, he, not that he had us over a barrel, but he and his people had such a strong hand because they knew that Arsenal couldn't be seen to let another big player go. 
They, they knew that. So they were able to squeeze and squeeze. And, you know, he was the highest paid player at the club. Mm. Until people like Mesut Ozil, Alexis Sanchez come in. And then I wonder, does that in a way, does their ability, their their quality and technical ability, does that highlight some of the deficiencies in Theo Walcott's game? Does it make it more obvious to the manager? I don't know. It's an interesting one. Um, you know, away from home on Wednesday as well. I wonder, will he will he pick him there? Yeah. Because, uh, you know, he didn't seem like he wanted to do that against Crystal Palace. It's going to be the same kind of thing against uh, Queen's Park Rangers, isn't it? They're, they're going to try and make it difficult for us. Um, so we'll see. Yeah, one to watch, definitely. Mm, all right. Uh, here's a question from Mean Lean uh, at Arsenal Vision. And he said, if the choice is yours, does Gabriel stay in the team ahead of Per Mertesacker? Uh, I think so, actually. I think so. I thought Per would be out of the side this weekend. Um, there was just something, I don't know, I, I think he looks very fatigued. And Arsene was unusually critical of him after the Monaco game. He sort of had a go in for turning his back on the ball on the Condogbe deflected goal. And I just thought maybe uh, maybe there's something in that. And, and indeed, he didn't play. And I think with Gabriel showing considerable promise, I wonder if I wonder if he should persist with that. I think mm. you know if <laughs> if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But if it is looking a little bit broke. Maybe try something different. Um, and after Monaco, I just wonder, but almost with that second leg in mind, if Arsene might look to try something a little bit different because Mertzak has so struggled against Monaco and I think they're going to play exactly the same way in the home leg because they can sit as deep as they like and if they can hit us on the counter, they will. So maybe playing with two centre-backs with a bit more recovery pace would be beneficial in those circumstances. So I almost think as part of the preparation for that game, this might be a chance to give Gabriel a little run and see if he can acclimatise. Mm. Um, so I probably would on balance. What about you? Yeah, I mean, I think at the moment it's the right decision. Um, I think Per has looked knackered, you know, and I don't blame him either for being knackered because he had a week of preseason and he's played pretty much every minute of, of every game. Um, mm. But I go back to what we were talking about earlier in the podcast when we were discussing Lauren Koscielny. Uh and I don't necessarily think it's got to be an either-or situation. That Koscielny's mm. form has got to improve as well. That surely yeah. there's got to be scope, not just for playing Gabriel and uh, Koscielny, but also Gabriel and Mertesacker. That there are going to be games where that has got to be a partnership. We know that Koscielny's had his injury worries. So, um, you know, you, you want this new guy to be able to play with both of them. And that maybe just a little bit more rotation between the three of them might keep them all fresher, uh, particularly the two that have been there um, since the start. It might allow them to um, take a little breather, find their form again, take some of the pressure off. So it's not it's not one or the other for the rest of the season, I don't think. Um, but it's certainly a healthier situation than we had a few weeks back, right? Yeah, and and healthy competition too. And I think... The thing about Mertesacker is, you know, we talk about this kind of physical fatigue after the World Cup. 
But there's a mental strain too. I mean, in mm. the first half of the season, he was holding the defence together single-handedly. There was no Koscielny for long periods. He was playing with you know young guys like Chambers or sometimes Debussy, sometimes Montreal. It's been a really difficult campaign for him with a huge amount of responsibility placed on his shoulders. And we're talking about Ozil playing well now and looking refreshed from the World Cup, but he did have a three-month layoff in which to achieve that. Yeah. And Mertzaker hasn't had that. He's been ever-present, really, throughout the whole season. So if he is feeling the strain somewhat, I don't think that's you know unfair or unjustified. Mm. So a little spell out the side, to be honest, is, is well-deserved. And uh, hopefully he comes back from it looking more like the Mertzaker we know. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the thing is, when you get a new player and he's a shiny new player and it's nice to have him, it doesn't necessarily spell the end of somebody's career just because this new guy's come in. You know, the, the whole issue, the whole thing is having the depth to cope in all the competitions so we don't end up with knackered players, you know? Mm. So uh, so fingers crossed. Um, have you got one more or, or should Let's we? Let's have one more. One more, okay. This one is from um, Ashley Taylor, ABR Taylor on Twitter. Mm-hmm. And he asks, which member of the first team squad looks most like a shark which member of the first team squad looks most like a shark yeah holy shit um well there's lots of different kind of sharks aren't there that like is there's true, a hammerhead shark and the bottle face shark and the mm, that is a good question the thing you would associate with sharks most i guess are the teeth and yeah. the and the dorsal fin yeah, well, there's a few of those creeping around, aren't there? A few sort of weird Mohican-y haircut. Yeah, I mean, Coquelin's hair, there's that kind of pointy dorsal fin thing to it. Giroud, he could, he could, uh, he could do that too with some of his Mohicans. Mm. But maybe if you were just to, to look at them physically and say sure. which one would be most likely to be a shark, if they had to have a, a sharkoplasty... Yeah. I would go for Alexis. I just think he's got that kind of, you know, sculpted, well-designed body that could become a a terrifying killing machine in the water. And, yeah. yeah. Like a tiger shark type thing. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I can see that. I can see that. I always think Koscielny is slightly shark-like. I, yeah... Do you know Koscielny I've reminds me like of... a dinosaur, to be honest. A dinosaur? Like a... Koscielny, yeah. yeah. Like with little forearms. He's very quick. He's quite raptor-like, I always think. Yeah. Um, however, so there is something sort of sharkish about him. Uh, I don't know. I was just fascinated by the question. I just think it's probably something we don't talk about enough. No, no. I mean, there there is a dearth of discussion about which Arsenal players look most like sharks. There's a, a and I'm blog just opportunity. Find a gap in the market. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, Arsenalsharks.blogspot.com. Um, but Koscielny to me looks like one of those, um, you know, those fish that when they get frightened, they just go, <laughs> they puff up. A puffer fish. Yeah. But yeah, he, he, <laughs> he looks like that to me. Wouldn't it be great if Santi Cazorla did that? Like if you fouled him, he just blew up like a balloon. <laughs> And just like hilarious. floated into the rafters of the stadium <laughs> until someone got up there to deflate him. Quick, get him back, get him back. We need him to take the free kick. <laughs> yeah, I he, would really enjoy that. He's got the physique uh, for that, yeah. yeah per- the perfect lovely. roundness. Exactly. All right. Um, 
Let's, yeah, let's, that'll do. I think that'll do, because this, you know, fish analogy could go dangerous, dangerous places. Indeed. Right, QPR on Wednesday. We've got an Arscast on Friday. Uh, we'll look ahead then, of course, to the uh, FA Cup quarterfinal next week. <sighs> that will mean a change of Arscast extra day, given that the oh, game really? is on Monday. Well, what do we do? Do we do it before the game? I guess we game? could do it. I could, we could do it. Mm, no one will listen to it until... I think people probably listen to this on Tuesdays, don't they? I don't know. I, well, I don't know either, but I think we should probably do it post-game rather than pre-game because I can preview the game on the Arscast on Friday and then we can discuss the, the whatever happens on, so on we'll Tuesday. So Monday night or Tuesday morning, I reckon, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, yeah, a post-mortem. Yes. All right, cool. Well, we'll do that then. So until the next one, make sure you log on to deskbeers.com and use the code ARSCAST10 to get 10% off. And uh, we'll chat on the next ARSCAST Extra. Bye-bye.